can they hear us now? Good! <laughs> Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 321 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to the show. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and don't forget to hit the follow button for the Apple Podcast app. Also, share this episode. Share with a friend. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. And tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's right. Take a screenshot of this episode. Post it on your IG stories and tag me on IG at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, college basketball analyst for ESPN and CBS Sports, Mike O'Donnell joins in to talk college basketball. We talk in Zaga versus Duke, the NIL's impact on college basketball, and more. You can find Mike on Twitter at MOD43. That's M-O-D-4-T-H-R-E-E. Can't wait for you to hear this college basketball-centric episode of Combos Court. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. O'Donnell, college basketball analyst for ESPN and CBS Sports. Welcome back to Combo's Court. How are you feeling? Even though I kind of know because we had a little conversation before the podcast. But for the listeners, how are you feeling, man? How are you feeling, Mike? I feel good. I finally recovered from uh, three and a half months ago of playing pickup for the first time in like a year and a half. And so I'm just, you know, the hamstring, the Achilles, the, more importantly, the hip flexor is just kind of getting back to normal. So it's a... Uh, you know, feeling good. And it's called troop season, man. Honestly, it's just such a, you know, it's just such a cool time. And I'm, I'm having, I've been so excited to get back on the road. It's really cool. Most definitely. It feels like college basketball is back in almost better than ever. Yeah. Yeah. The games have been great. Um, the, some of it is because teams are older. Uh, because you've got that extra COVID year. Uh, freshmen are counted as freshmen, even though I played, they played a whole season because uh, everybody kind of gets to reclassify almost. And you've got a lot of seniors back from a lot of mid-major teams that decided not to go on the transfer portal that get their kind of what they're calling super senior year, COVID year. Um, and also, I'm just, you know, I think it's, it's very difficult to explain and I'm not even quite sure how to quantify it but I do know that, I mean, you know, this is a former Hooper. There's certain things you can just feel. And with fans in the stands, yes. it's just different. The energy on the court is different. You can feel the guys, just the fact that they just love to play in front of fans. There's something um, chemical about it almost. And yeah. I, I think it's just, I, it's, it's just awesome, man. 
Yeah, going into the season, I don't know if I talked about this on my podcast or if it was a Twitter spaces, but I kind of predicted and thought it would be a great college season. One, because as you said, the fans are back. And I think the NIL deals do have something to do with it, keeping some kids in college, and it's great to see them getting paid for what they do. I'm just not sure how overtime elite is going to survive now that the name, image, and likeness is going to be here for college basketball. Um, I wish nothing but the best for overtime elite, but I think they're in a real uphill battle because would you rather be playing live streamed on YouTube in front of maybe 800, a thousand people? Uh, or would you like to play a Duke uh, against Gonzaga in Vegas and it was yeah. you know like one of the highest rated college basketball games we've seen regular season you know non-conference games we've seen in a while and every single person in the country is talking about that game and you know if you play well your one or two um, deals that you have are going to be valued even that much more and there's uh, I know the NCAA was, you know, try, trying to walk that line of when they should pull the trigger. They kind of got forced into, into just caving into NIL. But ultimately, what we're finding is that it's very compatible with today's game. Um, and I mean, the reality is, if you don't play well, nobody's in this for philanthropy, man. You know, like, everybody likes to use the car dealership deal uh, as an example, but nobody's, no car dealership no marketing company, uh, no restaurant is in the business of philanthropy. They're in the business of ROI, return on investment. You don't play well, that stuff stops. You know, it, it just stops. So uh, it, 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 it matters where you go. Uh, it matters the type of organizations you're linked up with from a collegiate administration standpoint, like who they set you up with. And um, there are players that, are going to make a lot of money. And then there are going to be players who are going to get a free buffet every time they walk into Sunny's, which is still really cool. And they, they'll tweet it out or put on their Instagram or Facebook. And honestly, that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and uh, there are players that have now have equity in companies. We talk about this is, you know, Andrew, I, I know this, that you were, it was kind of a loaded question and I really like talking about this stuff. So you're going to have to shut me off whenever you can, but we, we like to talk about in this country, how do we affect change? How do we affect the, um, the wealth gap? Uh, how do we, uh, you know, the wealth inequality gap? Uh, what do we do? How do we make changes? Do we just give money out? Do we, add more of this, do we take more of that, do we be more government intervention? And, and I think everybody's heart's in the right place. Everybody wants to help, but college athletics can be just an absolute beacon for creating generational wealth and actually changing the landscape for not just an individual, but for future families of that, of that player. When you talk about real world experience of understanding what equity means in a company, understanding that you now have to learn about budgeting, that you have to learn about taxes, uh, that you might have to get linked up with a wealth manager, that not doing 15 deals uh, just because 15 different companies are talking to you is actually a smart thing, but keeping a narrow focus and doing one or two deals, right? We, in business, we like to call that not getting a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, having a laser focus, building verticals for yourself, not just 
not just being in a, a very shallow pool. Um, and it allows you to have more focus to actually, you know, continue to be the great player you're going to be. But you have, you know, the majority of my teammates were first generation college students and getting that degree is awesome. You know, it can be really life-changing, but if you're going to be able to walk out of college with no debt, a college degree, potentially serious cash in your pocket, serious cash for me in college is like 10,000 bucks, but like you walk out of college with 10,000 bucks in your bank account, you've learned about equity, budgeting, tax, you're kidding yourself if you don't think that has massive, massive positive implications for that kid's future family and his current family of understanding. You take that stuff back home. It goes your mom, dad, uncle, aunt, kids, whoever it is. And then you're going to be, and then you're going to understand when you, when you hop into the real world, which, which is an insane place, as you know, you're, you're a step ahead of the game. So yeah. I'm, if it's done right, and there are going to be bumps in the road that NIL is, is going to be a beacon of hope for this country um, if it's done the right way. I really believe that. It's interesting you mentioned overtime elite because in a lot of ways, they're not even in direct competition with college because they're taking kids like two years younger than college athletes ages right yeah but depending on what they do during the time the overtime late they may not be eligible for the NCAA right 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 um, so they're not that, are any are any of them eligible for the NCAA uh there are they're actually working through that right now um and I also think Andrew this is going to change you know every year for the next three to five years before they figure it out of what eligibility actually looks like um and 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 when I say I don't know how overtime late's going to survive, again, I wish nothing but the best for that league, for those players. But if you're comparing, if you're talking about branding, I don't know what to tell you, man. But playing, uh, playing against Duke on primetime ESPN or CBS – you just can't beat them. Yeah, well, what's interesting is some of those kids probably playing in overtime elite aren't Duke level players. Right. I mean, no, no, no. well, I'm, I to totally agree. Totally yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at um, uh, how would we, okay. Here's a great example. Tyson Etienne, who is like a fringe pro potential pro he's at Wichita state. He's, yeah. he is one of the best scorers off a ball screen in the country. I mean, you go watch film on him man. the way he scores off a ball screen is off a dribble from three. I mean, the dude is just an absolute killer beyond the three. But at Wichita State, there is nothing around there. Nothing. He is the king yeah. at Wichita State, the absolute king. And you're playing the American Conference. So that means you're playing on ESPN every single night, every single game. And you're the reigning uh, American Conference Player of the Year. You are going to be playing against Memphis, against Houston, twice a year on huge platforms. And when you go back to campus, every single business in that area wants you to be a part of, you know, what they're doing. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of financial, a financial incentive for being the big dog on campus at a school like Wichita State, which, you know, I guess to the casual fan, you say, oh, it's just kind of a mid-major. I mean, Wichita State's the American Conference. I mean, that, 
that's one of the best programs in college basketball the last decade. If you're looking at strictly winning percentage, um, that's a big deal, man. That's a big deal. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think it's, uh, it's a windy road to get to where ultimately NIL needs to go. But I think, I, I think we're, I think we're on the right path. Let's shift to Duke versus Gonzaga to the Zags. But um, yeah. in all seriousness, it was actually the most attended game for a basketball game in Vegas history. I don't know if you knew that, but the electricity, yeah, the electricity just jumped off the screen. It was yeah. fantastic. What were your biggest takeaways from the game? Obviously, Paulo's first half was incredible. He started cramping in the second half. It was just a fantastic game. What were your biggest takeaways? It was one of the best college basketball games I've seen the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, at least, you know, outside of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think ESPN and CBS are looking at that saying, we need to get a big game in Vegas every single season if we can. Um, so, Bancaro is... Uh, the obvious is he's a pro. Uh, the more obvious is that he's going to be in probably the number one pick in the draft. Um, what are the two, the two things that I hear about his game the most are his versatility and his power. I don't know how you feel, Andrew, but I, I hear about that a lot, you know, outside of scoring. And, it, and, and to me, that's dead on right. It's, it's absolutely correct. But when you take a deep dive on what he's doing this season, this dude is just different, man. He is statistically, let me phrase that, from an analytics standpoint, he's the most efficient 17-foot jump shooter in the country. Yeah, mid-range. By a long shot. Yeah, yeah. The best in the country. He is the best mid-range player in college basketball in terms of efficiency. And then, on top of that, his second most efficient scoring play is off of cutting. So... We talk about his versatility and his power, which is awesome. And then you combine that with, quite honestly, he got huge chunks of an old school game, which I really appreciate. And then his the cerebral aspect of he is always moving without the basketball, finding the right spot. That's a different kind of dude, man. It's just a different player. You know, we can we can go real nerdy on it, but when you watch him. It's, it's so hard to guard him uh, because of how, many, how much he's moving. And he's not moving in a way that is uh, just all over the place, right? His movement has a purpose. And I think that's absurdly special for, uh, for a freshman. My, but my personal favorite thing about his game is efficiency aside and power and versatility aside, the way he scores simply in semi-transition off a dribble, like if he's initiating a semi-transition break, he'll pull up for three, one, two dribble jumper between legs behind the back and just pull for three as yeah. he's in rhythm moving forward towards the three-point line. And we're just kind of like, oh, well, it's a big-time shot. I'm like, big-time shot. I'm like, there are seniors, there are dudes in the NBA that just can't make it that smoothly. And I mean, guys, just Billy, it's just a different kind of guy. And he's really fun to watch. And he'll be the number one pick in the draft, um, barring any unforeseen circumstance. And I think he's going to be an all-star. Um, Chet is really good, right? He's probably the number two pick in the draft. Chet's great. Um, the Chet got exposed. His frame really got exposed in that game. And that he's, I mean, he's just really thin. He's a really skinny guy. And, but 
Um, Durant was really, really skinny coming out of Texas. Garnett was really, really skinny coming out of high school. And he has like combinations of those two guys. And so he's, you know, he's still a kid and he's, he's going to grow, he's going to grow into his body, but that length and frame pulling a rebound, initiating a fast break is kind of absurd. Just how he can, he steps laterally as well yes. as steps north and south and yes. with that frame and that size you know it's one of those unicorn type things that you talk about like you, you that's just can't teach that right it's really can't teach that but he clearly has to get stronger um i think uh, nemhard didn't have as good of a game as i think i anticipated him having but yeah. I still, th I think Nemhard is the best point guard in college basketball. Uh, I, I think he is the most efficient passer. I think he's got the best vision out of anybody. Now he's playing with, you know, you know, all Americans, right. And a lottery pick, but still the way that he plays and initiates offense, that's a, that's a step ahead point guard. That's he's a, he's a pro too. It's, you know, how, how many pros are on the floor in that game? A lot, seven, yeah. six or yeah, seven probably. at least. Yeah. yeah, best game in the last couple of years, no question. So you mentioned a step ahead point guard, and I think that's what Memphis is actually lacking. Um, they got a lot of guys that can handle the ball, make plays, but they might only have like one real point guard. Uh, you would think their defensive versatility would help them on defense, but that doesn't seem to be the case yet. Uh, do you think Memphis could turn this around because they had some struggles lately? Oh yeah, I I I do. Uh, as one game, you know, where they I just they looked not very Memphis-like as they the start of the season. Uh, Alex Lomax, Lomax is the key when he yeah. becomes a facilitator and a pass-first point guard. He's such a disruptor on the defensive end, where he's picking guys up ninety-four feet and just is exhausting to play against. But you you know Memphis when they play bad, they have a turnover problem. That's really what it comes down to. When they, and no one's really setting it. The, when they're playing bad, nobody's really setting the table. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, they let turnovers affect their shooting percentage. If you go back and look at bad turnover games, they don't shoot the ball well. When they have low turnover games, they shoot the ball well. And you got to remember, though, too, Andrew, a lot of new faces. I, I think this Memphis team is still – I. I absolutely could see them in the Elite Eight. Uh, they're that talented, and Amani Bates is still figuring it out. Duran uh, is, you know, you know, just a monster child. Yeah. Um. There's so many. I mean, they have so many pieces. I mean, just 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 coming off the bench. I mean, Landers Nolly comes off the bench. He'd be starting for anybody else in the country at the shooting guard position. Just super efficient, old school, one-on-one uh, -on -one score. Um, so I, I think Memphis will be fine. Um, fine enough to where I'm not going to be surprised if they figure it out and they're playing in the Elite Eight. Uh, you mentioned Jalen Duran, who's a great prospect for the 2022 draft, Amani Bates, a prospect for the 2023 draft. Um, who do you feel is the best NBA prospect in college basketball not named Chet or Paulo? Oh, Jabari Smith of Auburn. I, I don't, I, I don't think it's, I don't think there's anybody else outside those two guys. I think, I think even, uh, Duran, uh, I don't even think should be close to the third spot right now. If we're just looking at this sample size, 
I had an opportunity to call an Auburn game a week, uh, about a week and a half ago, and I was blown away at his maturity level. So just to kind of paint you a picture before I get into his game, um, the SID for Auburn comes up to me and he's, the, she said, hey, you know, do you want to talk to any of the players? And I'm like, sure, you know, would love that. Uh, I never like to be too over, you know, overstretch myself. And, and uh, I said, yeah, that'd be great. And um, she's like, would you talk to, look, can you please talk to Jabari? And I'm like, Jabari, of course, I'd love to talk to Jabari. You know, he's going to be a lottery pick. He's the highest recruit in the history of Auburn. I love watching him play. Um, and I said, uh, can I ask before you bring him over here, why are you so adamant on me talking to him? It's like, I just, just, we can't get him doing anything on social media. He isn't posting anything on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. And we really want to help build his brand. And I said, okay, all right. That's really a weird kind of, con- I don't know. It just was kind of struck, you know, took him by surprise. So we went over and I asked him a couple questions and he was the most humble uh, potential lottery pick I've ever spoken with or heard an interview in my entire life. He had no desire to talk about himself. All he wanted to talk about was Bruce Pearl and his teammates and playing for Auburn, how much he loves playing for Auburn, just praising his teammates and his team. I, it was awesome. And then I asked him at the end, I said, Hey man, you, um, you know, you know, your SID is trying to get me to tell you to post more on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And he's like, he's like, man, what for? I said, I don't know, I guess to build your brand. And he goes, what am I going to tweet? What am I going to say? He goes, I don't even, I don't know what to say. All I want to do is I want to win games for Auburn. I want to go, I want to, you know, be the best possible player I can to put myself in a position to take care of my family. And I want zero distractions. He goes, all that stuff's just a distraction. I'm focusing on the game. I just, yeah, how refreshing was that to hear? Uh, It was incredible. He is ultra smooth, uh, six foot 10. Uh, I think if he wanted to, could be SEC defensive player of the year if he wanted to. He's not there yet, but guy who can guard all five positions. Um, he has Carmelo Anthony type size you up in one-on-one, right? In, in the standpoint of where triple threat, one jab, rise up above anybody real quick, uh, baseline jumper, fade away one, two dribble uh, jumper in the lane, easily can get to the rim, uh, capable three-point shooter needs to get a little better. But Jabari Smith is, that dude is going to be really good and going to make a lot of money in the league. He's, he's the third pick in the draft. And if he slides up to number two, you just remember the fact that it, don't be surprised if he slides up to number two. That's interesting you mentioned Carmelo because I've been hearing some Paulo Carmelo comparisons. I don't, I see, I get the Carmelo. I, I, there's way more Carmelo and Jabari, in my opinion, for the way that they play in that uh, Jabari is ultra smooth um, and that his release is so quick and it's high. You know how Carmelo's release is, everybody talks about the speed, but it's also high. It's really at the very top of the, yeah. of the fall through. And Jabari's is very similar, not exactly like Carmelo, but very similar in the way that he moves and, Jabari does a great job like Mello of he'll get you a bucket if he's only got two and a half feet of space. And that's really special. Um, Paulo is a, is a bigger, stronger version of Paul George. Uh, that's, that, that, that's who I Whoa. see. That's the yeah. kind of, that's the kind of player I mean, that I see. That's a, that's a great Paulo. player. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I mean, I mean, Paulo is, uh, you know, if you're asking me, I, I don't know, is he going to be better than Paul George? I don't know. I, I hate thinking about M- that. Yeah, NBA cops are always see, tough, right? Yeah, really tough. Yeah, but yeah. but I see the way that George plays in terms of hitting threes off the dribble in uh, inside of 17 feet, playing at the rim, especially earlier in his days. But Paulo is just stronger. He's just physically there right now. He's physically five years into the NBA. And when he learns to put it together, it's, I don't know, brother, that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be real tough to stop. Mike, uh, give me a team that you think has a chance to win an NCAA title, but others might think you're crazy for saying it. Oh no, that really is a great question. I could probably give you a bunch of teams. So the top three teams in the country right now, Duke, Gonzaga, Purdue, to me, those are, that, 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 that's top three. I'm still not sure who Baylor is. If I had to pick a crazy national champion, I got a crazy national champion for you, BYU. Okay. Undefeated. Why so? West Coast Conference. They are um, absurdly amazing to watch on the offensive end. You couple that with uh, they are, uh, in kind of a sneaky way, really, really, really physical and don't get enough credit uh, for how good they are defensively. And they are an old team, right? They've got some yeah. old, and not, not just from COVID, but BYU is historically old because of a lot of those guys go on Mormon mission trips for two years after their freshman year of college. And you might have a sophomore that's 22 years old um, or 23 years old. And so they are, they're an older team. They're a veteran team and their offense is very difficult to stop five on the floor. that can all shoot phenomenal spacing uh, yeah, I really like BYU. They haven't been uh, tested heavily, um, but I really like this BYU team. I, and the other team that, you know, this is the best four and two team in the country. I, this isn't an absurd take. It's not an absurd take, so don't get mad at me. But by February, Villanova could be, you know, the third best team in the country. Uh, you got to remember Colin Gillespie is still coming back from an ACL tear, you know, as a, as a former player, that stuff takes time. And, and yep. everybody says, Oh, it takes time for him to physically get better. It takes time. Once you get fully healed to then not just remember, but feel positioning, feel the right speed and feel where you you know, your body needs to go and take and, and, and take where you need to because coming off an ACL tear those that first month of the season you're still trying to remember and figure out your timing and until you forget about remembering and thinking about your timing you're never going to be the exact player that you kind of were and Gillespie is so important he's you know second or third best you know pure point guard in the country and so when he gets that it, it just changes Villanova's trajectory most definitely. Trust me, I know about recovering from ACL surgeries, and it's not easy. Uh, but all the best to him, man. It is a tough injury to come back from, but you could come back. And now it's in 2021, you could come back even way stronger, you know? So we got all kinds of new ways to yeah. for physical therapy and how to train. So all the best to him, you know? No doubt. No question. Now we are rooting like crazy for him. Yeah. All right. So we see Rick Patino's impact with Iona up in New Rochelle not too far from me. I'm in New York city. 
Um, do you just feel that in college basketball, coaching matters more than it does in the NBA? Obviously, it matters in the NBA as well. But what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, they're, 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 that's a that's an inception type question, Andrew, man. There are levels to this thing here. Um, so in the NBA, coaching personalities is number one. Uh, number two, it's uh, analytically getting players to buy into their most efficient shot for themselves and for that possession. And that can get really strategic. Uh, it can get very basketball geeky and um and there's a constant uh chess match when it's not just Durant's hot Steph's hot get Steph or Durant the ball which you know is, is is a joy to watch but in college you are um you're instilling a culture for your program mm -hmm. uh that players have to you got to get buy-in first you're the head coach is working on individual development way more in college than the head coaches in the NBA. You've got actual player development coaches, you know, that are, that are, are for that. Um, I think you also have head coaches that are getting guys buying in on just understanding how to play hard. And, I, and that, that happens certainly at the NBA in certain stages, but 82 games, it's different. Plus the playoffs, it's just different. So uh, getting players to buy in for this particular team's culture is not an easy thing to do, especially with the transfer portal right now in college basketball. Uh, you're spending less time on late game situations and more time on understanding why this is a bad shot for us because it's not inside of the offense that we run instead of this is a bad shot for you in the NBA because you only shoot this at a 34% clip. Whereas on the right side, you shoot it at a 43% clip. Most college guys can't even comprehend that math in their head. Not that they don't understand percentage, but they're still learning like don't take a mid-range contested jumper with 24 seconds on the shot clock, right? It's yeah. that kind of balance. Um, there's not, I don't think it's more or less. Uh, I think it's, it's just categorically way different on the things you actually talk about. Yeah. Uh, Mike, before we get out of here, what are you most excited about for the rest of this college basketball season? Oh man, I am really excited. I got, I got a couple things for you. I am excited for um, uh, the NCAA tournament games to be absolutely packed and completely bonkers. I can't wait for that. Um, I, I cannot wait for BYU to win a national championship and my hot take actually comes to fruition and you can bring this back. I, I don't think they're <laughs> going to win it, but that's my, that's my hot take. Um, I would absolutely love for Purdue to get to a Final Four. I think I am very excited to watch Purdue's season. I think Matt Painter is one of the best coaches in the country, doesn't get enough credit. And if you haven't watched Purdue play, they are really, really big. And also backcourt is very, very good. And I could see Purdue, a hot take for you is 
uh, you know, if Purdue loses a game um, before the Big Ten tournaments, I'm not going to be overly surprised. You know what? I got to actually ask you one more thing. You know what I've been noticing on like Twitter, and I'm not sure if you notice this as well. I feel like there's a little bit of a division between the college basketball community and the NBA draft community, because I think college, the college basketball community thinks that the NBA draft community just drops in and analyzes all the player and kind of takes the college game for granted. Do you see that too? I feel like I saw that on Twitter. Who was calling out Mike Schmidt? Seth Davis was calling out Mike Schmidt. No, you know who Twitter. I saw. You know who I saw call him out, and I could be wrong. I think it was Jeff Goodman. No, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Seth Davis. Uh, now it okay. could have been Goodman as well. It could have been Goodman as well. Um, okay, which love both those guys, but yeah, Goodman's been on the show. Great guy. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, Schmidt's is fantastic at, at breaking is. down uh, individual players. I mean, he's really, really good. But that's. Um, <laughs> How can I say this in a non-cliche way? I don't know if I can. That's just business, man. That's just business. And one of the many reasons why you're kidding yourself to where if you don't think that Mike Schmidt's breaking, if Mike Schmidt's breaking down Bancaro's game after the Duke and Zaga game is not a huge deal for Bancaro's brand, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. If yeah. breaking, that him breaking down the game on SportsCenter, on Scott Van Pelt at night, like, that's a huge deal. That's just straight business. ESPN, you know, wants to make things sticky, right? You go from that game to Mike Schmitz and to Scott, like talking about the draft and it's a, it's a 24, seven, 365 deal. It's good for everybody, right? Giving Paul that attention. Yeah. Yeah. So if he uh, is the crown, the best player in college basketball, Every time he's on TV, he's must-see TV. So it's good for everybody. It's good for the TV networks. Uh, it's great for the fans. It's great, you know, it's great for the opposing team. That's now, you know, we're the guy who shut down Paulo, you know? Uh, so it, it's, there, there's, everybody needs the, the hero that is also the villain at the same time. And, and college basketball, I think, may have that guy in Paulo. I'm still holding on to Chet as the number one pick, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen. I don't, I don't know. It, listen, I'd be shocked if he falls out of the top three. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he completely won't. shocked. He, he's uh, too skilled, too big, too good of a rim protector, too tall, too fluid as an athlete. That yeah. one-on-one matchup is going to matter a lot. And you think so? Do you think it should yes. matter? Do you think it should matter a lot? I think so. I, I, think, I think so. If you're – I am not an NBA GM – if I was an NBA GM and the two top players were going head to head and I've got all of the numbers I can possibly have at my disposal, uh, disposal on players, right. Of measurements of physical measurements of, you know, uh, backgrounds. Um, I know everything about, you know, who his friends are. I've got, I've got the whole scanner report on, on Paulo and Chet. I've got all the metrics necessary and they go head to head and Paulo wins the head to head. I mean, you're, you're a Hooper. Sometimes guys just, you know, uh, um, they, they, they perform their best against the best and Chet, by the way, Chet didn't play bad. Chet played really good to Paulo. Yeah, he, had, he, had, he had foul trouble in the first half. Uh, yeah. But that, that, but that matters, but that matters. The harder you play, the less you foul, you foul because you're out of position. You don't foul because oh, I'm being super aggressive and foaming at the mouth. I'm going to block a seal, everything. No, fouls happen because guys are out of position. 
and playing hard is just as mental and staying locked in as it is physical. And, you know, guys that guys that stay on the court, like Virginia, it, right. They're the most physical, best defensive half court team in the country every single year. And they don't foul. Why? Because their guys are always in position, always in position. They don't reach, you know, they steal passes. They don't steal dribbles. If you go, if you steal dribbles, the percentage on you stealing a dribble is almost, it's not even worth you going for a steal on a dribble. It just shouldn't even matter. You know, if you're at a certain height, you shouldn't be trying to block shots. You should just wall up every single time. That's what Virginia does in the half court. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent. I just, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't like the cliche stuff. And we're just talking about basketball because um, there's just, there's just too much of that. But um, going back to your point, yes, I think head to head matchups matter. And if we get Gonzaga and Duke, in the national championship game. I mean, who's doing better than us watching that, man? That'd be awesome. I'll take round two any day. <laughs> Mike, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media? And where can we find you on TV? Uh, social media, I'm uh, on Twitter. Um, I just have Twitter because I'm not savvy enough to do anything else. Uh, but you can find me on uh, MOD for three. That's MOD, the, the number four, and then the word three on Twitter. And then I'll be calling uh, a lot of uh, UCF and South Florida games this season for ESPN Plus. And uh, I've got a lot of Mountain West, Atlantic 10, Conference USA games for, uh, uh, for CBS Sports. Um, uh, one game I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I've got a chance to call a uh, Nevada game coming up here soon. And Grant Sherfield is one of those borderline pro guys. If you haven't watched Grant Sherfield play, that's one of the best one-on-one -on -one scorers in the country. I plays for the Wolfpack out in Reno. Pretty good. So I'm looking forward to watching him. Mike, you're always welcome back on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time and talk soon. Got it, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Anytime. There it is, another episode of Combo's Court Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We appreciate you. And big shouts to Mike for joining in. Thank you. Mike O'Donnell. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court Podcast. Also, share this episode. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Instagram. And tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. -E the best way to get that done is to take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your IG stories. And as I said, tag me at one to combo be on the lookout for episode three two two combo out